morning. Glad to be with y'all today. Thank you, Jim, for reading our scriptures this morning. Oh, there he is. Place to put this right there. That's okay, though. <sighs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I must admit that the practice of praise has never come easily to me. I just never seemed to get it. In my short time on this earth, a considerable amount of it has been spent in Christian institutions. And during that time, the chapel services and the Vespers sessions uh, that I have gritted my teeth and rolled my eyes through have been outnumbered only by the amount of them that I've just skipped. I just don't seem to connect with singing praise to my God as uh, our Psalter this morning explained so joyously, so nauseatingly. <laughs> and certainly my own history plays a part here. It probably doesn't help that a lot of my experience growing up in such praise situations was characterized by what I thought was boring music and overly emotional singers who closed their eyes and told us to put your arms up if you love Jesus. Now, I will make a disclaimer that if you connect with God that way, that's a great thing. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Embrace it and enjoy it, because if I'm being honest, even though, you know, it, it's not the best to be told to, you know, only if you love Jesus, you'll put your arms up. I'm still a bit jealous that people do connect to God that way because it's, well, it just seems a bit easier given our cultural situation. So I'm a bit jealous and I think probably a bit bitter from, from my history. But I have largely gotten over myself. I, I have come to like hymns, so I'm glad that I'm here. Um, but I think something that I still hold on to is a resentment over the years of the equating of the ideas of praise and worship. Since praise never came easily to me in my teenage Christian years, it followed that I had no way to worship the God whose place I was trying to find in my life. If I didn't like this inescapable aspect of faith, well, then maybe the whole thing wasn't for me. This obviously was unfortunately harmful for me as the message I was being given was that my personality didn't fit the mold of the Christianity being presented to me. It seemed that I didn't fit either picture. As my life progressed and I matured in my, my faith, my sense of self, my education, I did eventually realize what this phenomenon was and that this equating of praise and worship didn't need to be the case necessarily that, in fact, there is more freedom to be had in life in God than just the songs that we sing. But I did still carry that resentment for the prevalence in Christian environments of forms of praise that are constrictive, not just in their own right, but also constrictive of the very idea of worship itself. So I made it a point in my life to make this known to people. When they would say, oh, I love worship music. Smugly, I would say, worship music? Mm, you mean praise music. So all at once, I was 
the praise Grinch and the worship Pharisee. Wasn't, wasn't always the pleasant person to be around that I am today. But yes, as I learn and grow and continue to become acquainted with the hurts of the world, I realize how important and how needed praise really is today. As a church, we've been going through the Psalms, using as a framework uh, Walter Brueggemann's language of orientation, disorientation, reorientation that Melanie gave us a little primer on this morning. Um, orientation, yes, just to go over it again. Orientation's a time when life feels right. It makes sense. There's direction. Uh, there's purpose. Uh, direction is achievable. Purpose is present. Praise the Lord. PTL, as the kids say. And then as life does, things change and disorientation comes. We face hardships in relationships, in loss, in nagging depression, or perhaps disoriented, as Melanie mentioned, by realizing the ways that we are complicit in the suffering of others, because it's not necessarily all just our own experience. God seems far away in these situations. Life gets in our face, won't let us breathe. Forget God, forget praise. I'm going to do what works for me to get through what's in front of me, or at least forget about it for a few hours. I'll praise God when God makes things better. Disorientation can seem to last for far too long. And it's at a time like this when we need God and we need new perspective that all of the tools that we need seem to be lost to us. But I would put forth that if we have freedom in our praise, we have with us a tool that can not only help us withstand the disorientation, but situate us back to where we ought to be going. So we've reached this point in our series of reorientation. This is a time when things have stabilized. The, the hurt perhaps is, is still there, but it's, it's scabbed over a little bit. A new narrative has formed. We, we remain changed from the journey, from where we have come, and, and a new story is forming. And it's in a lot of ways like our original time of orientation, but now it's a bit deeper because we have changed. Again, perhaps it's a bit raw, sensitive to the touch, but it's more connected to who we are in the world and hopefully how God moves about that world. And this can be a time of praise, but in freedom, again, we must bring our whole selves into it, including that past hurt, which is probably still present. And rather than God requiring of us certain attitudes and exaltations and arm raisings, God first wants us. This is the beginning of praise, and it's part of the rhythm of reorientation. So I want to talk today a bit about the idea and the practice of praise in relation to our reoriented state. But since I've also been talking about worship, I'd like to draw just a couple of helpful lines between the two. So the idea of worship in the Bible is pretty universal. 
the big central idea. God calls Moses um, God calls Moses and the Israelites out into the desert to worship. God commands them not to worship idols. In the book of Romans, Paul tells us to offer our bodies as sacrifice and calls that true worship. The church itself is the holy temple of God in which worship takes place. Worship, again, is a big idea. It's not just something that we say or profess to be true, but something that we bring about, something that we embody together as a church that points to the presence of God in the world. In Hebrew, worship is the word shagad. don't know if I'm pronouncing that well, but that's okay. But it means to prostrate or to live under. So in one word, there's an idea of acknowledgement of something so powerful, so alluringly good, that it demands all of us in submission. And Psalm 146 reminds us of the ways that God is alive in the world. Creating, liberating, restoring, loving. So if we are to submit to that idea as reality and embody it in our lives, then worship is an active orientation. Worship is living in the big picture. It's witness. It's prophetic. It's justice. It's all those other Christian buzzwords that we like to use that never quite capture the profundity and the abundant abundance of what's in our hearts and what comes, what manifests when we gather together. So the language we use is somewhat inadequate, but together we strive regardless because, again, worship is an active orientation. It's concerned with real-life, physical, embodied things. And as such, worship is tiring. Praise is a reflective counterpart to worship. That's not to say that praise does not require focus and commitment, but it is a restorative action, a ground in action. Praise is a reflective orientation. And praise is the running current in our psalm today, 146, and I would go as far to say that praise is a key part of what makes us wholly human. That is, it is built into God's intention for us. And the psalms, as human poems about life and God, reflect this idea. Throughout the 150 psalms, the word for worship is used, the word for worship is used about 15 times, whereas the word for praise and a couple different words for praise are used over 100 times. And I think there's something compelling about that because where worship is active, it's aimed at participating with God to bring about good things. Praise is, in a sense, internally focused. It's with the person, the people they're with, and their God. So of those two, it seems we should be more focused on the first, of, of bringing about good things. At least it does to me. But the Psalms, in their search for fullness in God, don't attest to that. The Psalms instead suggest that we need praise to remind us who we are, because by remembering God in praise, we situate ourselves back in God's good story. So in this way, praise is a tool for reorientation. 
And because praise is communal and habitual, it's a recurring act that we do together, it becomes essential for our engagement with worship. And in a culture such as now, in a global moment such as ours, we are being continually disoriented. And without praise, that can lead to desensitization and disengagement very fast. If we're only worshiping and trying to fight this disorientation and, and the ills of the world, we will burn out, we will become tired, and we will withdraw. And I'm not going to list everything that's wrong with the world, but it makes sense that we might get tired about gun violence, racism, nationalism, militarism, consumerism, slavery, corruption, war profiteering, fundamentalism, bigotry, climate change. Let's not forget that one. <clears throat> we need a story to remember that's big enough to overcome those giants. And worship is our commitment to live out that story, but praise is the continual reminder that God has already written it emphatically in Jesus' name. Yes, the hurt of the world will persist, but God is actively involved with it. God hurts with us. God is on our side. Psalm 146 it says, God frustrates the ways of the wicked. And we confess this to be true, but it doesn't always match up with our reality. However, we live in the space between our confession and our reality. Praise allows us to look to God and follow despite the disparity between what we see and what we believe. So in this way, like a seed in soil, praise completes worship and allows us to enter the pain of the world. Not protected from it, but instead emboldened by the story of love. So in our passage in Luke today, the disciples of John the Baptist asked, in effect, if Jesus was the, was the Messiah. And he didn't really say yes, but instead he identified himself with God's story. The blind see, the lame walk, there's liberation for the oppressed. The words of the prophets and from our psalm today were probably ringing in those disciples' ears. And perhaps their expectations for who Jesus was was different maybe misplaced, what stands out to me is their identification with God's story. God at work in the world was the narrative that defined their lives. And really the whole Israelite history is, is a history of trying to internalize that narrative of God alive in history. The Israelites looked for it, and when it wasn't obvious where God was, they got disoriented, they wandered, they got lost, they messed up, they did a lot of horrible things, but still they tried. And yeah, it looked like it looked like that for them a lot, a lot of the time. And before Jesus came, it was it was like that for about four hundred years. And yet those disciples who were sent by John the Baptist to go to Jesus were still looking for God. To me that speaks to a deep sense of orientation. The kind of orientation that only comes from this threefold cycle, where reorientation after feeling lost compounds the capacity 
for orientation to begin with. And the Israelites were doing just that for their whole history. Their law told them to do it. Put it on your doorways. Write it on your hearts. Tell your children that God, our God, is alive in history and is on the side of the poor. That was their story together, collectively, the Israelites. That was their story within God's great story. So as the new people of God, through Jesus Christ, I ask, what is our story? As one small church together, within the big church, what's the narrative that defines our life together? I'm grateful for our community here, our commitment to Jubilee discernment, land, labor, and capital, our acknowledgement of our status every Sunday and on the side of our building as repentant thieves of Duwamish land, relationships that form at God's Little Acre, our gifted, intelligent, passionate youth. We are forming our story in orientation to God's story one that allows us to be continually disoriented and reoriented because that's where life with God is most important when it becomes most powerful and transformative. I'm confident that we'll continue to follow this path and that God might in various ways gently grow us, prune us, arrange us as we worship in his world. And to that I say praise to God.